Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning, Fairview Church. If you will open your Bibles to Psalm 19, we're going to read the first six verses of Psalm 19. The psalmist says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Let's pray again. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, it is a real honor to be with you uh, in during this season of transition that you are in as a church. My prayer is that uh, the Lord will Bless the times that we have together to open up his word. And uh, uh, this morning, we're, we're going to be doing the first of a, of a two-part series on uh, my favorite psalm in the Bible, Psalm 19. Uh, you know, as we look at our text today, it's, it's important for us to, to recognize uh, just something strange or unusual about the fact that all of us here in church this morning, here in this place, among brothers and sisters in Christ, we all come here with the expectation and the understanding, the assumption that God speaks, that he isn't silent, uh, that he has revealed himself. You know what? If you're a follower of Jesus and during the the week when you open up God's word, you read his word expecting to to hear from the Lord. When you come into this place, you're expecting to, to hear a word from the Lord. But Sometimes we don't realize just how unique this is. That this church, this atmosphere, this place where that assumption is true, it's unique because the reality is outside of this place, we live in a world that assumes God is silent. Get out into business or go into the city or maybe you take classes at some you know, institution of higher learning. And you find that a lot of people assume that either there is no God or if there is a God, he's not the kind of God who reveals himself or that you could be sure has has spoken something. And a lot of people in our society, they relegate this idea of God speaking to to the primitive beliefs of people who lived centuries ago. Okay, yes, maybe once upon a time, uh, people thought that God spoke. People interpreted a lightning strike as, you know, the, the wrath of God. He must be angry about something. Or, uh, or rain coming before the harvest was a sign of God's favor on the people. You know, people once listened for the voice of God and, and they wanted to receive instruction. And people are familiar with the Bible stories where, you know, Noah was told to, to build an ark or uh, uh, Abraham was told to, to leave his country. And, and the prophets in the Bible would pass on these messages from God. And throughout history, even, we have stories of martyrs and saints and people who, who, who said that they heard God speak. And at one point in time, 
pretty much everyone assumed that God was real and that God cared. But that's not our day. Those days are long gone for many of us in the West. We, we live in, an, in, in a time when many people, we think of the age that we live in as a, as a scientific age, you know, where, where people have reasonable, natural explanations for, for things. And people will say, you know, the world isn't, isn't a mystery anymore. It's more like a machine. And we know how the world works now. And we don't interpret things the way that people in the past did. And if there is a God, many people still claim to believe in God, he's generally quiet. And you know, there are even some people in our society today who, who believe in God, maybe even many who go to church, who would even go so far as to say or answer on a survey and say, you know, the Bible is, I believe the Bible is God's word. And yet functionally, many of the same people go about their day-to-day life assuming he doesn't really speak. Assuming it for the most part, he's silent, that he's irrelevant. And you can tell this by the fact they hardly ever crack open the Bible. To, to listen. They, they don't really listen to his voice. And yes, maybe when a time of suffering comes, they'll, they'll cry out to God. But even then, they might not, probably don't expect an answer. But they'll say, you know, if believing in God helps get you through life, then, then so be it. But, you know, the real world, the, uh, whatever we can, the real world is whatever we can explain scientifically, naturally, through our human reason. There may be a God, there probably is a God, but if, he, if there is a God, he probably doesn't speak and probably doesn't expect to be heard. That's the dominant understanding that many people have in, in our society. And that's the world in which we're called to live on mission for Christ's kingdom. It's the world that we walk out into when we leave this place. It's a world where people assume that God is silent. But into this environment, into this kind of world that assumes God is silent, comes Psalm 19. And it's kind of like a visitor from a foreign planet. It's a psalm that is ancient. It comes from the hand of King David. And the psalm beckons us into the strange new world of the Bible and reinvigorates our imagination so that we can see the world and we can see God as as God truly is. Just a quick side note on this psalm. One of the reasons I like it so much is that from an artistic standpoint, it is a masterpiece Uh, C.S. Lewis, the literary scholar and writer said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So the Psalm just on by itself is just great literature. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at this Psalm. We're going to look at the first part of the Psalm today. That's why we only read the first six verses. And we're going to read the second part of the Psalm next Sunday. But the main message of the whole Psalm is something that is championed loud and clear in this entire psalm. The one message you can't miss is, God is still speaking. He is not silent. And he wants to be known. And today we're going to look at how God speaks, how he reveals himself in creation. And then next week, how he reveals himself in his word. So this week... We want to have our eyes open to how God speaks to us through his world. And then next week, we're going to have our eyes open to see how God speaks to us in his word. So here's the first takeaway from the psalm. Just right there, verse 1. I sum it up this way. We need to lift our eyes 
to the heavens that declare the glory of God. Look at verse one again. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. David, the writer of this psalm, starts off by talking about how God speaks through creation, how he speaks through his world. You know, the reformers, they talked about the world as if it were the theater in which God showcases his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now that word glory, uh, it means more than just beauty. It, it means, it means uh, there's a weightiness. It's like he's saying the worthiness the weightiness, the majesty of God is on display in creation. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. From that poem from Gerard Manley Hopkins. That grandeur, that worthiness, that majesty is something that we can't lose sight of. And it's not surprising that King David talks about the heavens, the, the, the skies above us. Too many times we miss what is going on outside. You know, we live in or near the city. And even if you live out in the country or in the county, uh, there are parts of the night sky you can't see because of our proximity to the city. Uh, there, are, there are beautiful aspects of the night sky that just don't come through because of the lights of the city. You know, the uh, scientists call it uh, light pollution. So you can't see all of the, the sky and its brilliance because the lights keep you from that. You have to go, you have to find dead spots or places uh, in, in other parts of the country where you can really see what the ancients would see when they would look up into the sky. But I wonder, even if we, even if we did see it, even if we could see it on a regular basis, would we actually look? One of my favorite Peanuts cartoons has uh, Charlie Brown and Patty are out under the stars. They're looking up at the night stars. And, and Patty says, aren't the stars beautiful, Charlie Brown? And he says, uh-huh. And then he pauses. And then he turns. And he says, let's go inside and watch television. I'm beginning to feel insignificant. <laughs> Now, we laugh, but how many of us, even if we're out in the desert or we're away at the mountains or we're at the beach, how many of us do the same thing? We'd rather shrink the world around us to the four walls of our home or shrink our home down to our electronic devices. We don't always like the feeling of insignificance that comes from being out in, in nature. You know why? Because the world declares the work of God's hands, not our own. So we grab our phones. Now, it's important to pause here and talk about the main thing in your life that will keep you from lifting your eyes to seeing the glory of God in creation. You know what it is? It's in your pocket right now or in your hand or it's what you're texting and scrolling on as I speak. Uh, your phone is the biggest obstacle to experiencing the wonder of creation. Everything about this device is designed to draw you in, to draw in your eyes, the layout, the settings, the, the social media accounts you have, the algorithms of those social media companies. They are designed to capture your attention and draw your eyes. I mean, just think about it. The phone provides constant distraction. You never have to be bored. If you're in a place where your attention starts to lag, you just whip out your phone. I mean, you're at the airport or the grocery store, or heaven forbid some of you are scrolling Instagram right now because I've already lost your attention. But I mean, in, there's a sense in which 
we are slaves to our devices. We want that, that dopamine rush that comes from being online constantly. There's a, a younger guy who's a singer who has this, this great song that describes the feeling of going without his phone. Alec Benjamin is his name. And these are the lyrics. He says, I'm a dopamine addict, can't break the habit, runs in my head, psychosomatic, stare in the mirror, hide in the attic, cry in my bed, I'm a dopamine addict. And I feel like I'm out of touch. Keep thinking I need that crutch. Keep thinking I need that rush. I just can't break the habit, can't break the habit. It runs in my head. I'm a dopamine addict. So hear me out. One of the most important life-changing things you can do is on a regular basis to lift your eyes to the heavens that declare the glory of God. And one of the biggest obstacles to lifting your eyes is this little device that is designed to declare the glories of you. This device revolves around you. It's tailored to you. And you know, the real world isn't like that. Nature is not like that. The phone exalts you. Creation humbles you. It's there to exalt the creator, not you. You know, nobody ever stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon and thinks, boy, am I something. <laughs> you know, and sometimes it, takes, sometimes it takes a weather disaster to come through and remind us that we're not in control. And we're not as strong as we think we are. You know, the, the snowstorm makes you have to spend an extra night somewhere. Or the hurricane ruins your vacation week. Or the tornado takes some trees in your yard. The mudslide messes with the mountain trail. You know, yes, we can often predict weather patterns, but I mean, okay, that's great. But it's not like predicting the weather is controlling the weather, right? We're not as strong as we think we are. But the phone, the phone is all about you. You're the star. And that's a big difference. Creation is all about God. He's the center. Creation is saying something. The skies are saying something. The sunsets are saying something. And we should lift our eyes to what the skies say, not just so that we can capture a great picture to post on social media, although that is a way to redeem some social media accounts. But we look at creation not so that we can broadcast our photo-taking talent to the world, but because the world itself is broadcasting the glory of the creator. We've got to look at the, at the world for what it is. We need to see, to really see. And to really see, you've got to put down the phone and lift up your eyes. Clyde Kilby, a professor for many years at Wheaton College, he once wrote down 10 resolutions designed to keep his mind and heart healthy. 10 resolutions. All of them are great. I'm going to share the first one with you, though, because I love the first one. It says this. He says, at least once every day, I shall look steadily up at the sky and remember that I, a consciousness with a conscience, and I'm a am on a planet traveling in space with wonderfully mysterious things above and about me. How would our lives change if we did that? If every day before we rush to our phones or drink our coffee or get going with the day, we stepped out into the wild world of wonders and looked up to the God who made it all and breathed out a prayer of gratitude for his glories and creation. It's so vital, not just for a healthy Christian life, but just for a healthy life in general. 
And that brings me to a second takeaway from this psalm, number two. Pay attention to what the world is saying about God. Pay attention to what the world is saying about God. Look at verses two through four. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. We live in a world that is proclaiming the glory of God, right? We are surrounded by wonders all of the time, and yet they go unnoticed. We overlook the beauty of the world, the trees and the leaves and the grass and the skies. Their voice is not heard, the psalmist says. Now, Bible scholars trying to interpret that aren't sure. Is he, does he mean that people don't pay attention to the voice of creation? Or, or maybe he's saying that creation shows us the glory of God, but without a voice, without using words. But, but in either case, it's not that God isn't speaking through his world. It's that too often we aren't listening. Still, God wants to be known. And the world is telling us something. Nature is telling us the story of salvation. You, could, you see a picture, for example, of regeneration in the, uh, when you watch a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. You know, the, the, the caterpillar, that insect enters that long period of dark rest and then, and then resurrects as a, a glorious new creation. It's a picture of the new birth right there. Or you see a, a picture of the gospel in the seasons where you have the, the goodness of summer is sapped by the dryness and the fading light of fall leading to that tomb-like cold and darkness and death of winter. But then what comes next? That sudden burst of new life in the spring. The story of redemption, it's on display in our world. It's there for you if you open your eyes and your ears. We mustn't let familiarity rob us of our sense of wonder. You know, the adventure of life is a fight for astonishment. To, to, to resist growing bored in a world of wonders. Have you ever noticed that people who live near the quiet glory of the mountains go to the beach for vacation? And people at the beach go to the mountains. Now, I want, I've always wondered why that's the case, but I, I think that there's a sense in which we don't really see the beauty of the place we're in. We grow so familiar with it until we go away and come back. And it's like, sometimes you have to change the scenery to really see the scene. To come back to your home and then realize that what a beautiful place you live or what, 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 what beautiful wonders are around us. We, we leave home so that when we come back, even for that briefest of moments, it's like we're, we're jolted into the reality of seeing the glory of where we are afresh. I remember a few years ago the, when the, the Pokemon Go app came out. Our family got out in the neighborhood and you know, that's this augmented virtual reality app. And we were trying to catch a few of these mythical creatures, you know, out with the kids in the neighborhood. And I remember I was walking down the street with our kids and we were tracking a particular creature. It was the Pokemon version of the butterfly. It's um, called the Butterfree, in case you were wondering. But uh, we were looking for the Butterfree. We're about to get it. And all of a sudden, a real life butterfly, okay, with colors that were way better than anything you would have in a kid's game actually like flew right by us and almost landed on our youngest son. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, kids, did you, did you see that? And for a minute I was like, wait, who needs the Butterfree when there's a real live butterfly, like right there. But for some reason, we were more enamored with a man-made app than with a God-made world. If we're gonna hear God speak through 
his world. We've got to be paying attention. And that brings me to another of Clyde Kilby's 10 resolutions for keeping your mind and heart healthy. Here's, here's another resolution he wrote down. He said this, I shall open my eyes and ears. Once every day, I shall simply stare at a tree, a flower, a cloud, or a person. I shall not then be concerned at all to ask what they are, but simply be glad that they are. I shall joyfully allow them the mystery of what C.S. Lewis calls their divine, magical, terrifying, and ecstatic existence. See, it's not just opening your eyes to the heavens. It's focusing your eyes on the earth, on the wonders all around you, and being grateful for what God has created. It's, It's looking at something, taking the time to really look at something and to see it in all of its glory, to see it in all of those layers. There's a book by uh, Robert McFarlane called Landmarks. And it's an interesting book that tells the story of different terrain, of these uh, scenic areas in the UK, of landscapes where because, because we no longer pay attention, we're actually losing language, the ability to describe things. We are literally losing words that our ancestors used to describe stuff. Uh, And this is what he says. He says, once something goes unnamed, it goes to some degree unseen. Like you can see it. He says language deficit leads to attention deficit and vice versa. So in other words, what he's saying is if, if you become indifferent to the distinction between things, to the, to the beauty in the differences, for, if, if, like for, for example, if you were to look up at the sky and all you see are clouds, oh, there's clouds, there's clouds. But you don't, you can't really, you don't really distinguish between cirrus clouds and stratus clouds and cirrocumulus clouds and thunderstorm clouds or whatnot. It's, it's not that the clouds disappear or that you can't see them, but there is something lost in your ability to really see and appreciate the beauty in the distinction. It's kind of like, uh, you, you, you don't see it in all of its majesty. It's like the, our ancestors had multiple words for dirt. Because, you know, doing the farming and doing what they, they knew all kinds of different ways of talking about dirt. Or you can look outside and you can see beautiful trees and see a row of trees. But what a difference if you can actually distinguish between all the different kinds of trees that are out there. Uh, You may have heard this before, but the Inuit people who live in, you know, Alaska and and Canada, Siberia, whatnot, they, they have multiple words for snow. Not just one word for snow, there's multiple words for snow. Why? Because there are all of these different ways of describing the beauty of the reality that we have. But to do something like that, to reclaim some of that language, you really have to focus your attention. You have to look at the world around you. We've got to put down our phones and lift up our heads. Andy Crouch, who's a a writer and a thinker, he once once spent, as an experiment, he spent several weeks away from from all screens, television, everything. And he said the biggest blessing of that season was, he said, it was a small measure of attention. He said, a sense of my own smallness. I think there it is. You know, the realization that this world is an awfully big place and that despite what your phone says, it doesn't revolve around you. The reason... Andy gave up screens for a few weeks and he talks about it. It's not because screens are bad. It's because the world is better. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. 
but their message is so often missed. So we've got to focus our attention on the goodness of God's world. You know, we, we recited the Apostles' Creed, and it starts out this way, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Just let those first lines of the creed linger in your heart and your mind. He is the creator of heaven and earth. All of earth and heaven, they reveal his fingerprints. The world is telling you there's a creator. And the world's telling you something about that creator too. The world is telling you the creator is wise. The creator of weather is in control. The creator of the lizard and the eagle and the elephant likes variety. The creator of the ostrich must have a sense of humor. The creator of the rose bush and the dandelion is joyful. The creator of the flower bed loves color and variety. The creator of, of the lightning strike is all powerful. The creator of the wind is unpredictable. The creator of the seasons loves and establishes order. And the creator of the mountains, the ocean, the Arctic is beautiful. What is the world telling you about God? Focus your eyes and ears on what creation is telling you about the God who has made everything. And that leads me to one last takeaway from this first part of the psalm. I think we ought to work hard to see the world as enchanted again, as full of mystery and wonder and beauty. So I'd sum it up this way. Number three, recapture the wonder of God's work in creation. The wonder of God's work in creation. And here's what I mean by that. Look at verses four through six. It says, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The wonder of God in creation. Do you see how the psalmist does this? He doesn't just talk about sunrise and sunset. He doesn't just see things, describe things scientifically. He does it poetically. Now, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you know someone who's like this. That maybe someone with a, with, a, with a more naturalistic understanding of the world, you know, um, uh, maybe an evolutionary worldview or something. And that would say... Well, you know, it's all nice and exciting to, to spruce up the, the, the world with your imagination. But who says that the wonders of this world necessarily point to God? I mean, all you got to do is take a biology class. You don't need God to learn about the different kinds of clouds or to classify the trees. Besides, everything in nature is like clockwork. It's just nature doing its thing, Right? The routine of everything, it's like a machine, right? The, 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 the changing of the seasons, the, the rising and the setting of the sun. These are all just the results of, of evolution. And, and, and the routine of everything just proves that the world is really a machine. And the more we learn about the machine, the less mystery there really is. So you don't really, you don't really need a God for all of this. So we should just, I mean, we don't really have to talk about a creator. We just accept the way things are. The world's a machine and we're solving the mysteries. That's one way of seeing and analyzing creation, I guess. But I just want to invite you into King David's way of viewing the world because he takes a radically different view of the world going through its routine. I mean, he sees the same thing that the naturalist or the atheist sees. Yeah, the world is going through the motions, but he gives it a completely different interpretation. He describes the sun. It's going through the motions. The sun is like a bridegroom 
you know, racing up into the sky, can't wait to see his bride, or like the runner turning the corner and, and heading toward the finish line. And, and he sees the world not like a machine, but as if it's all part of this cosmic dance. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that it says more about us that we see the world as a droll, as a dull and dreary machine than it does about the world. Repetition is not the sign of death. What if repetition is the sign of life? You see this with kids who are really alive. You know, when parents in here, you know what it's like when your kids want to hear the same story over and over and over again. You know what it's like if you're an older brother or sister in here, you get to the end of reading a story at bedtime and what do they say? Read it again. I mean, when our kids were younger, I got to the point where I was like, if I read Goodnight Moon one more time, I feel like I'm going to take that bowl full of mush and chuck it at the quiet old lady whispering hush. You know what I mean? But, but what does a kid who is fierce and free and full of energy want to do after you, you know, you take her in your arms and you toss her up into the air? I mean, what do they say? Do it again, mom. Do it again, dad. And the grown-up reads the story again. We put on the movie again. We throw the kid in the air again. We repeat the same thing over again until it wears you out. But then Chesterton says, grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. God speaks through his world. And this world speaks back to God. When you hear the locusts out in full force on these late summer nights, they are praising the king who once used them to bring down the mighty Pharaoh of Egypt. When the birds are singing in the morning, they're doing what they were created to do. They're singing praise to their maker who knows when even one sparrow falls. When the wind sweeps through your neighborhood, and the trees put their arms together and sway and clap, they're giving an encore to the power of God's spirit who blows life into dead, sinful hearts. You see, Psalm 19 is not the lifeless, flattened out world of the 21st century. It is a world throbbing with life and love and majesty where all creation is constantly praising the creator God still speaks through this world. It's our job to keep our eyes and ears tuned in. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The world is speaking, or better said, God is speaking through his world. My question for you is, are your eyes open? Are your ears listening? Don't let your heart shrink and shrivel into the shape of your phone. Let the wonders of our God's world expand your heart until you're overtaken by gratitude and awe. Let's pray together.
Father, we do worship you as the maker of heaven and earth, of everything that is seen and unseen. And Father, we ask that you would help us to regain our sense of wonder at the beauty of the world around us, to listen for your voice in creation, to have our eyes open to the world that you have created and to what it says about you as our king, as our father. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to see the story of salvation as it is written in creation. You would help us to see the parallels and the beauty of what you did for us when you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to be raised to new life, to give us hope, a future, eternal life with you. And I pray, Father, that in everything, we would see you with eyes of thanksgiving, wonder, and gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.